following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Where are you going? We're going to miss the plane! When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation... Did we miss the plane? <laughs> no, you just made it. Yeah! They forgot one small thing. Have yourself... I've a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Kevin! Home alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus. And it's Elf. Get off my property. This is my house. I have to defend it. Where's your mother? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. He's a kid. I mean, what can a kid do to us? Kids are stupid. I know I was. You still are, Mark. This is it. Ow! I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. I am going to get home to my son. Why do you dress like a chicken? Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll gladly drive you. Hey, guys. Yesterday, he was just a kid. Ah! But tonight, he's a home security system. You guys give up? Oh, you're thirsty for more. Ah! From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. Home alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you, one that will provide several hours of pleasurable relaxation and diversion for you and your family. There are always wonderful new pictures to see, delightful snacks to nibble, a gay, pleasant evening for all. We hope you have a wonderful time. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime! When eight-year-old Kevin McAllister is left behind on his family's Christmas trip to Paris, he awakes to an empty house and assumes his wish to have his family disappear from the night before has come true. But his excitement sours when he realizes that two con men plan to rob the McAllister residence and that he alone must protect his house. Welcome back to the Retro Network Drive-In. Make sure your radios are tuned to 89.7 FM to hear the movie and visit our concession stand for fresh popcorn and treats. Now playing is the 1990 Christmas comedy classic Home Alone. You've got the silver tuna here, Jason. I'll be your host tonight. and Thankfully, I'm not alone for this screening. First, I've told this guy to go easy on the Pepsi tonight. Old school Tim. <laughs> How you doing, Tim? I'm doing good. I got the, the rubber sheets just in case. Very good. Yes. <laughs> Don't want any, any liquids in this car that we're going to watch the movie in. And... She is what the French call les compétents. It's Stacy. Hey, Stacy. Hey, I've got a cheese pizza all to myself, so I'm happy to be here. Okay, I've got plenty of napkins. So, 
Glad you both are here. Want to give a quick shout out to Eric and Gary who were planning to be here, but circumstances happened that uh, they couldn't make it. So we will invite them back for another movie here at the drive-in. And uh, talking about Home Alone tonight, we are, as I like to say, going to spoil the crap out of it. So if you haven't watched the movie, you've been under a rock for the last 31 years. (laughs) But we are going to just go every which way but loose with uh home alone tonight and uh how we break it down but i first wanted to ask you guys how old of a movie is this for you in other words when was the first time you watched it let's start with stacy i'm pretty sure i went to the theater with my parents to see this movie Uh so it's 1990 old for me (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) tim do you remember the first time you saw it yeah, I do. I, I saw it in the theater opening weekend um, with some friends. Didn't have real high expectations going in, but obviously came out with a very happy experience and became one of my favorite movies for for the rest of my life. Yeah, I remember watching it in the theater as well. I had some anticipation leading up to it, and I saw it with my dad, who was not a moviegoer. By any means, 1990 was kind of a sad year. My parents divorced, and uh, on the weekends, we would, me and my dad would look for stuff to do. And I told him I wanted to see Home Alone, so he went with me and cackled all the way through. So I know he enjoyed himself, and I enjoyed it, and have tried to watch it uh, pretty much every year since I've owned the v- uh, VHS copy of it, essentially, and catching it on uh, network TV and. I'm sure we all have kind of traditional viewings of it around the Christmas season. Uh, any special viewings, or do you just try to get it in once each year? Yeah, we try to get it in at least once every Christmas season, but it's one that if I run across it on regular television, I'll always stop and, and keep watching it there as well. But we try to get one regular viewing of it in at least. Yeah, same here. It, it- typically ends up being a christmas eve movie for us um because it's one of our favorites and we we actually do that the cheese pizza thing was no lie when we watch home alone we usually get a cheese pizza (laughs) because it's (laughs) just kind of fun you know just just play along that or the mac and cheese he never gets to eat which always makes me sad oh yeah yeah that always bugs (laughs) me too we'll talk about some uh unanswered questions and and things from the movie later on but yeah (laughs) that always makes me upset is he sits right down and he's right in he's on an empty stomach i mean (laughs) poor kid (laughs) no we try to watch it every year it usually starts out as a marathon and when we go through our christmas movies it's if we do home alone well i have to watch home alone too and we usually get to three and then that's usually where it fizzles out but uh, yeah, we'll talk about the some of the sequels and stuff a little bit later, and even the new movie that was just released, Home Sweet Home Alone. Uh, Stacy, I know you've watched it. I've watched it. Tim, did, have you attempted to watch it? I have not. I'm okay. not sure if I will or not. Might depend on how you guys uh, describe <laughs> it a little later. Yeah, we'll uh, get into that. But I'm gonna uh, just talk a little bit about the movie in general, and uh, anytime you guys want to interrupt me come in uh, that's fine because i'm going to be talking uh probably a lot throughout the episode but 
got a lot of notes and a lot of backstory and history about it. Of course, writer and producer John Hughes conceived Home Alone while preparing to go on vacation. He said, I was going away and making a list of everything I didn't want to forget. And I thought, well, I better not forget my kids. Then I thought, what if I left my 10-year-old son at home? What would he do? And he wrote eight pages of notes that developed into the screenplay for Home Alone. Uh, he's imagining that uh, you know children are naturally most scared of robbers, so he worked that aspect into the plot of the film. But there was also a rewrite by the director, Chris Columbus. Hughes originally asked Patrick Reed Johnson to direct, but he was committed to directing Spaced Invaders. That's a movie I've never seen. Have you either of you seen that? I love that movie. Do you? Okay. Yeah, it's fun. I haven't seen it in a while, but I didn't realize that uh, that choice was made. <laughs> yeah. So he turned to Chris Columbus, who had left National Lampoon's Christmas vacation before shooting because of a personality clash with uh, Chevy Chase. So Hughes <laughs> gave him scripts for both Home Alone and a movie called Reach the Rock, which I had no idea what that was. But uh, Columbus chose to direct Home Alone, which was a pretty good choice. And he did do some, like I said, uncredited rewrites of the script, which includes the character Old Man Marley to uh, essentially give the story a little more serious angle and more emotional uh, ending. So that was not uh, in the original script that uh, John Hughes wrote. But I won't go through the entire cast. Of course, it stars Macaulay Culkin as Kevin. We've got uh, the two robbers, Joe Pesci. Daniel Stern and the parents, John Hurd and Catherine O'Hara were, uh, I guess the main players of the movie. It's got a great supporting cast. Like I said, it's almost too numerous to list here, but they all did a great job in my opinion, down to the, the guy at the Scranton airport. I love that guy too. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk a little bit more about the, the cast and, and some what ifs and even some, uh, people who turned down some of the roles that I've dug up online, but the original release was November 16th, 1990. A couple notable events around that time. The first web page is created in that month. The Super Nintendo released in Japan and the uh, Gulf War was on the brink. So just kind of setting the tone there for uh, when the movie was released. Like I said, it, kind of had somewhat of a buzz for me. I remember watching the trailers and even tuning into uh, Siskel and Ebert for their review because, you know, back then we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have the internet to get extra footage, clips, trailers. You know, it was usually just one trailer that they played on TV that you saw or before other movies. And I was so excited to watch it. I'm like, I got to find somewhere else to, to get some stuff and somehow i stumbled onto cisco and ebert which uh we'll learn ran through the ringer <laughs> so i wasn't happy about that but do you guys remember kind of anything leading up to it being released uh, having any buzz for you i don't um like i mentioned earlier i didn't really have i saw it opening weekend because some friends wanted to go see a movie and we went to see it i remember macaulay culkin from uncle buck that was kind mm -hmm. of my, he was a little boy in that. And I knew John Hughes was involved and I was already a fan of his at that point. So it was 
that was kind of my my main uh, thoughts going into it. I really, I believe it was some of my friends who really wanted to see it. And I just mm-hmm. kind of went along and was very happy I did. Yeah, I think Uncle Buck was the reason we went to see it. Because my dad thought that he was really funny and Uncle Buck and was like, let's go see this movie. And then I honestly didn't know it was a John Hughes movie at the time. I mean, I don't know that I was as aware of John Hughes mm-hmm. <laughs> at that point. I was I was 12 when it came out. So, you know, was aware of John Hughes movies, but maybe not John Hughes <laughs> yeah. necessarily. Yeah. But uh but yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that my dad was like, hey, the, the funny kid from Uncle Buck that asked all the questions in this movie, let's go see it. <laughs> yeah, and it probably didn't hurt that John Candy was in it. I, I don't know if he was in the trailer. I'm trying to remember. I know there was, uh, I, I think he was kind of revealed as being a part of the movie. So yeah, I was 14 yeah. so and an only child. So I could relate to being home alone sometimes by this point. So I think that had something to do with it as well. Just knowing the the basic premise of the movie. But uh, there was some conniving behind the scenes of this film over the budget. And this was very interesting as I'm looking this up. So Hughes told Warner Brothers that uh, he could do the film for $10 million, which at the time was still pretty cheap. However, he expected it to go over budget and went to 20th Century Fox before production started with the script to see if they would fund him if Warner Brothers wasn't willing to negotiate. So obviously he did go over the budget. Warner Brothers kind of shut down the production at some point and demanded the budget to be cut back. Well, there was the turnaround and Fox pretty much picked it right back up and they quickly resumed production with the final tally being around 18 million. So I thought that was interesting that how Hughes was kind of playing them against each other almost or having a backup plan before even going to production with the movie. So uh, it was an overwhelming success at the box office. The domestic take was 285 million, 476 million worldwide. And it was number one for 12 straight weeks did not leave theaters until the end of June in 1991. (laughs) In fact, it was still playing in theaters when director Chris Columbus's next movie, Only the Lonely, was released into theaters. So that was uh, a pretty crazy fact to think that, well, 12 straight weeks is impressive. And I think that was a record it held for a while. But uh, going until June, you know, movies lasted, had so much more time in the theater back then, you know, than they do now when it's almost like, well, some are uh, instantly on streaming, but there's still a, a quick turnaround nowadays versus how they used to kind of linger back then. And you had all the dollar theaters and everything, you know. I remember very excited about the VHS copy coming out, too, and wanting to see it mm-hmm. again. And I remember buying the, the VHS copy. I can't remember when it came out, if it was like around Christmas next year or whatever, but... I distinctly remember that mm-hmm. being something like, man, I, I really want that movie and <laughs> buying that VHS copy as soon as it was available. Yeah, we'll get to that uh, stat here in just a second. Also debuting with Home Alone the same weekend was Rocky Five and The Rescuers Down Under. And then other movies that 
could not come alone out of that number one spot. Three Men and a Little Lady, Predator 2, Misery, Look Who's Talking To, Kindergarten Cop, and White Fang. Those all came out, could not knock him out of the number one spot. The movie that finally did was Sleeping with the Enemy. <laughs> and that was in, I believe, March. Well, I guess I'm sorry. That would have been February. So pretty impressive how long it lasted in the theater and at number one. It was released to home video, VHS, and Laserdisc on August 22nd, 1991. So a little before uh, the holiday season. It was the first video to go direct to sell rather than to the rental market first for Fox Video. And it sold 11 million copies, which generated another $150 million. It's crazy. So along with E.T., it was the highest selling video of all time at that point. Those two. I still have my original VHS copy. Do you? I'm <laughs> holding it right now as, a, as we're talking. But Very fun. This is the one I got. It must have been right around that time in 1991. So 30, 30 year old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a little bit uh, on the critics. I don't like to spend too much on the critics, but I do like to hear kind of what they say. And of course, like I said, Siskel and Ebert were the critics of the time. Two thumbs down. Ebert gave it uh, two out of five stars. And uh, in his TV review, he kind of describes the film as too unrealistic and Siskel wanted to tap more into that big moment of being left at home without, you know, a babysitter for the first time. And I can kind of see that, but, you know, the slapstick, the booby traps and everything, it just seemed, you know, what the the younger audience would appreciate more than a critic looking at a film, you know. It's still pretty good on Rotten Tomatoes, though. So the critics, the tomato meter is 66%, and the audience score sits at 80 so that's still pretty high, in my opinion, for uh, uh, you know, thirty whatever, thirty-one years later when it was released. But overall, most critics were kind of down on the film. It was nominated for a couple Golden Globes, Best Picture in the Comedy and Musical category, and uh, Macaulay Culkin for Best Actor nomination there for Comedy and Musical. It was also nominated for two Oscars. For the best original score and best original song, of course, John Williams did the soundtrack. And I feel like that should have won right there because the soundtrack to me makes the film rewatchable every year. Yeah, just hearing that little theme song, yeah, know, the instrumental theme song to the to Home Alone, just, I don't know, just something instant. about it just makes yeah. you feel like Christmas. there's so many John Williams scores and, and themes that just, you know, puts you in the moment again, but yeah, the, the beginning theme, the, you know, that that's just instantly home alone. And then that real fun theme kind of throughout the movie, 
You know, I could sing the whole thing. It's just, uh, I, I don't know. I can't say enough about how having a great soundtrack really propels a film even higher than it, it could be, you know? And I yeah. feel like that's the case for the score for as well as the song choices throughout it. Some of the, the Christmas songs they chose to feature in it too are just perfect for the mm-hmm. scenes they're in as well. Okay. Well, uh, we're going to give out some of our own drive-in awards. But before that, we're going to have a little uh, little snack break, little uh, concession stand break here, because I have got to know, <laughs> and this is a new feature here on the drive-in, we can call it our intermission, whatever we want to do it, but you know, at the intermission, we visit the concession stand, and so here's a food-related question I want to ask both of you. If you were left home alone at eight years old, what food would you be making for yourself? You know, we see in the movie, Kevin makes that humongous Sunday when he's watching the movie and he's ordering the huge cheese pizza for himself. And at the store, he's getting the microwave mac and cheese dinner. You know, what would you guys have been making for yourself? (laughs) Any takers? I'd probably go with that ice cream Sunday if that was available. I probably would have done something big like that at that age and just gone crazy with chocolate sauce and cherries and that kind of thing that probably would have been especially at that age yeah i feel like for me it would have been just thinking of what we probably would have had at home at the time Mm -hmm. pizza rolls and little (laughs) debbie cakes (laughs) Uh, breakfast of champions yeah yeah yeah. copious amounts of cereal yeah, that's what I was thinking. I would take like an entire box of cereal and dump it into my mother's mixing bowl. And <laughs> that would be my my meals, you know, just huge copious amounts of cereal. <laughs> so anyway, I that question came to mind. I thought it'd be fun to to talk about for a minute. But all right, well, let's get back into it. Let's do our drive-in awards, which the first award is for your favorite scene in the movie so we can throw out some nominations and kind of make our decision after the fact so hit me with some scenes that are just your favorites you look forward to each time you watch it um (laughs) i i don't know why this is this is something that is it's just my favorite as an adult (laughs) but when he's when he's watching angels with filthy souls and he's (laughs) He's like, I'm eating junk and watching rubbish. You better just come and stop me. Like, that's stuff I did when I was a kid. Like, I was not often home alone, but if I was, I was talking to nobody because I, I was also an only child. So I was, you know, I was yelling out things just in case somebody was there. <laughs> what about you, Tim? What's one for you? There's so many of them that 
I, I like one that comes to mind. You mentioned John Candy earlier. He was just in that one scene, but that whole interaction from the time he meets uh, the mom and mm-hmm. and all the way through that ride home, but just John Candy to me, I I just love everything he does. Mm-hmm. But the whole Polka King of the Midwest, <laughs> Gus Polinski Polka, character. Polka. <laughs> No, and that okay. whole thing. So I love that little bit of interaction. It it didn't necessarily have to be in the movie, but by adding it, I just thought it was a, it was a fun yeah yeah fun side story. I think so as well. One of my favorite scenes is the uh, the fake party with mm-hmm. all the little. He's got the train, you know, with the big Michael Jordan standee and the dummies in the window, you know, and he's playing around with the ropes and they're playing rock around the Christmas tree, you know, and then the Marvin and Harry pull up and they're like, what did they come back from Paris? You know, <laughs> uh, just, I know it's, it's ridiculous and kind of far-fetched that he could come up with half the things that he does, you know, even the booby traps and stuff, but I don't know. I just thought that was fun. It was so elaborate that to think of something like that, to, to kind of scare off the crooks i just love that scene yeah what's another one one i like uh it's another real off the main movie part of scene but when um she calls into the police station and uh talks to the <laughs> sergeant Balzac, and it's uh she goes gets the family crisis intervention and just that little conversation with him and kind of when he they're transferring her around and when he yells, Rose, hyper on two. <laughs> yeah, hyper on two. Um, but that little scene there, again, it's something that it just seems like something that's fun and that they kind of made more interesting uh-huh. by putting it in there. I, I want to know how Larry Hankin was that talented to eat that donut and drop a piece on the receiver and just like have it hang there for a minute you know i heard i heard him an interview with him once talking and he said that they did that scene like 10 times and they kept like it wasn't the actors weren't messing up but they're having problems with sound and different things and he ate a new donut every time they refilmed it and he said he took two bites of it each scene he'd take one bite and then uh-huh. take a second bite and he said that last one was the first one that had no problems and that little piece fell onto the phone and he said that's the one they kept yeah um, so great i like kevin's interaction with with santa <laughs> uh, yeah. and santa santa's out of candy canes and he gives him tic tacs yeah. <laughs> don't spoil your dinner yeah. and then he gets the parking ticket yeah. And then, like why he's rabies shots for the yeah, Easter bunny. Rabies shots for the Easter bunny. <laughs> he's smoking great. a cigarette and yeah, he's got a yeah. blow out, you know. He's got the beard pulled down and has to yank it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, fun fact coming up about uh that scene. I like how he even says, I'm old enough to know you're not real, Sam. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I good. love how worldly Kevin is. Like he's He's just, he's pint-sized, but he's so smart. Like, another of my favorites is the, the interaction at the grocery store. Like, where's yeah. your mom? Oh, yeah. Where yeah. do you live? <laughs> I can't yeah. tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he likes to act beyond his years, which is great. Yeah. One of the scenes I like, too, I mean, it's 
more obvious one is the one where he's getting ready in front of the mirror with white Christmas and, uh, mm-hmm. and obviously when he slaps the aftershave stuff on his face, but I like kind of how he's spraying under his arm and combing his hair. And yeah. All just kind of talking to himself. I, I watched every part of my body and <laughs> for the first time. And yeah, I mean, going through that whole thing. That's but that funny. first time where he screams like that, that's kind mm-hmm. of became that kind of iconic part to him. Yeah. Which yeah. I've read was ad libbed. Like it was not, it's not in the script the, to scream or anything there, but I think Chris Columbus kind of told him, you know, when you put aftershave on, if you just leave your hands there for a minute and then you, you would scream if it was, cause it was burning him. And I like uh, his interactions with old man Marley, but especially at the church, you know, when he goes in there and looks over and he sees them and he's like, freaks out for a second. <laughs> And then uh, comes over and they just have that kind of normal talk and Kevin even offers him advice, you know, and I don't know. It's just so, I'm, I'm so glad they added that character in to give it a little bit of, I don't know, serious touch to it. Cause it makes the, the funny parts even funnier to me, but very heartfelt at the end too. But I, I, I like his interaction and their whole conversation in the church again, yeah, acting, me. acting above his years, you know, <laughs> Uh, as he's talking to him yeah and and then the uh the second pizza delivery when he's home alone and the pizza guy comes and he sets up the the movie to interact with him you know and the uh the pizza guy ducking behind the garbage cans and peeling (laughs) peeling out you know and uh i just like how when he pulls up and he always knocks the statue down in yes, yes. Like little stuff like that too which is that was not in the script either <laughs> <laughs> i don't know where that came from but i've been doing an article for the retro network on the differences between the script and the movie so i'm totally immersed right now yeah got i'm me looking at the forward to that time, i love when you do those articles They're um always great so i'm looking forward to that i think that's uh i did have one more one other one was uh the montage after he says, I made my family disappear and he's bouncing on the bed and, you know, he finally goes through buzzes stuff, but he's just going crazy around the house. And I could picture myself doing that, jumping on beds and, <laughs> you know, just having I, free reign, you know? Yeah. For me, the whole, when the, the wet bandits come back and go through all his booby traps. I mean that I just love watching yeah. that. And those guys in there, their physical comedy and stuff is just so fantastic. And that whole part of that is, is probably overall my favorite part of it Mm -hmm. just because of all the different things going on and how funny they are, but it kind of builds to that. And then I'll see a big payoff. You know, I was thinking about what you said, Jason, too. I I have a staircase that goes straight out my front door (laughs) I would probably break something as an adult, but you can't tell me that I'm not tempted to when it snows <laughs> to just put a sled at the top of the yeah. steps and try to slide out my front door and off my front porch. Yeah, We went down our stairs in a big cardboard box, but um, <laughs> we didn't have a front door that was right at the bottom of the stairs. But I definitely, like you said, I could see if I had that, that would be something I would have tried to figure mm-hmm. out how to do. All right, so what are you going to give your award to for the favorite scene? Hmm. We'll say booby traps aside, because I want to hear what your favorite booby trap is next. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I'll let you guys go first. I, of the ones we've talked about, the the one I probably quote the most is "Keep the change, you filthy animal," like the pizza delivery. Because I, the same mm-hmm. thing. Like I, I just love, I love how creative Kevin is, and booby traps aside, I feel like that is is one of his most genius moves to to not be home alone yeah or not seem home alone mess with the pizza guy and to use uh buzz's firecrackers too you know yeah it's not enough just for the speakers of machine guns (laughs) he adds that extra little element there too so yeah i think i'm gonna uh agree with you on that one what do you think tim i'll go with that too i love i love that like you said that when we get to quotes that's definitely Mm -hmm. the quote that I probably use more than any other one too. And it's just, uh, it had me just rolling the first <laughs> time I saw it. And it still makes me laugh. And even the pizza delivery guy, how he's like flopping around on the ground and <laughs> yeah. just scrambling on the ice to get out of there. I just like his, the, the actor they chose too. He's just so lanky and, mm-hmm. you know, well, you have to pay for your pizza, sir. <laughs> and I love his little attitude, you know, He's so from Chicago. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I said it. I, I want to know what your favorite booby trap is. We'll give an award for that. Oh, man. It's hard to pick one. Uh, yeah. For me, the one where he uh, lights his head on fire with the torch at the top of the door, that uh-huh. one probably makes me laugh as hard as any. I love when the iron falls on Marv <laughs> from uh, he pulls on the light string and the iron yeah. falls yeah, on that's him. a great one the paint cans flying down just smashing into his face um those i mean that's pretty brutal but um, poor, poor that's, marv's feet man like he that's one i can't watch ah, that the that's yeah the no, nail the, no the nail, the nail? Oh, the yeah. and then and then he gets the ornaments in <laughs> yeah. the feet um i think the one that probably makes me laugh the most like those two make me cringe but i still think they're kind of funny but the one that makes me laugh the most i think is the the marbles and micro machines like just both of them stepping on them and just going airborne <laughs> oh gosh yeah and that's perfectly timed like that whole when they both hit him at the same time and <laughs> Fly down. I mean, yeah, yeah. The the choreography and and blocking it took to do some of those things is yeah. is incredible. The one thing that makes me laugh, it's not really a booby trap, but you know he uh, ices the the stairs <laughs> down to the basement, and Marv is trying to get his footing. He's just I I can't stand <laughs> up, and he's like all of a sudden, boom, and he puts his feet straight out. You know, oh okay, yeah, it's like. <laughs> flipping around and also light bulb comes on you know (laughs) oh i can just do this (laughs) yeah i had the micro machines down too that's that's fun some of this stuff is just sadistic like the (laughs) hot doorknob and the yeah paint cans to the face and stuff like that it's those are some pretty rough ones the one obviously where he walks through the saran wrap with the glue on it and then the feathers Feathers, (laughs) Yeah. yeah That was probably the least uh, least painful. Yeah. <laughs> and then he sees a like, little tarn feather. Why are you dressed like a chicken? Why'd you take your shoes off? Why are you dressed like a chicken? <laughs> All right, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. So <laughs> it's hard not to. Yeah. 
I'll go with the micro machines because that fits the time, you know, the when micro machines were popular too. That's like how like he's like being so careful, like individually setting out each one just the right way, even like lifts the little I think the crane or something on one of them up so it makes yeah, it yeah. sharper. <laughs> yeah, the little uh, rocket. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Okay. You, you guys want to pick a favorite? I'm going to go with the blowtorch to the head. That one, just seeing Joe Pesci's face when his <laughs> head's on fire. And then, yeah. Oh, man. I'm sticking with micro machines. Yeah. The other one, too, is the, the BB gun to the crotch through the door. <laughs> You know, be a good little fella and open the door. Oh, shoot. You know, I I, I read uh, Joe Pesci had trouble not cursing. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so uh, just from his previous movies that uh, Chris Columbus told him to, I think, say fridge. Fridge, <laughs> fridge, fridge, you know, whatever. It's so great. All right, let's go on to, we, we just talked about one, but our favorite quotes or lines from the movie. And you guys mentioned one of mine is, it, it, and this will happen sometime throughout the year. It's guaranteed. Somebody will ask somebody in our house, why did you take your shoes off? And the <laughs> other person is correct in responding. Why are you dressed like a chicken? I mean, it's just natural now. Oh, yes. I <laughs> swear. Awesome. So the other one that we love is when somebody does something stupid or suggests something stupid. We'll look at him and we'll just say, Buzz, don't be a moron. (laughs) (laughs) That one gets quoted all the time around here. What else for you guys? Well, like I said before, I think the one I probably would say the most is to keep the change of filthy animal. um, Yeah, that's on all the like ugly sweaters and everything. Everything. Probably Um, what the movie's known for. I would say back to what you said, you're seen in the church. So from like a sappy quote, from the movie one that probably didn't register with me as much originally but more so now when uh marley tells kevin that you can be too old for a lot of things but you're never too old to be afraid i always Mm -hmm. like that that quote from not as much of a funny standpoint but sure sort of thing but then one that more of a funny one is when buzz tells kevin when he asks if he can sleep in his room instead of (laughs) And uh, with Fuller, he says, I wouldn't let you sleep in my room if you're growing on my ass. <laughs> I just love that. Yeah, that's a big brother line. Yes. No doubt. Buzz has some I, good ones. I've been known to to quote Uncle Frank. Look what you did, you little jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Frank is perfect. Yeah, he's very quotable. What I do sometimes, anytime we're at the store in that aisle i will bust out the has this toothbrush been approved by the (laughs) dental association yeah i i asked somebody that at at, i think it was at walmart one time and (laughs) he just looked at me like i had three eyes and i was like you've obviously never seen home alone and then i stole the toothbrush no i didn't (laughs) i didn't i'm kidding when i like to uh tell my wife when we're in goodwill or someplace and to quote Uncle Frank, just put them in your purse. <laughs> <laughs> but not, yeah, not like I, we're stealing. I just mean I'll. It's a joke anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I I uh, I bought some uh, dinosaur pajamas, dinosaur Christmas pajamas last year, oh. and uh, and <laughs> my husband told me that he knew he had a friend who got nailed because there was a rumor that they wore dinosaur pajamas. <laughs> and at first, I thought he was serious. And then we watched Home Alone. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that line. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. The other one, I I just love Harry and Marv going back and forth, especially Marv, but. When they're in the uh, van and they're trying to figure out what the heck's going on, and Harry's like, "Go check it out," and Marv just kind of sits there and now, <laughs> and people will say, "You know, ask us now, or whatever," around the house, and I'll be like, "No, tomorrow, egghead, now, go ahead," you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that little, yeah, I don't know, little New York or gangster, uh, you know, uh, mafia, whatever Joe Pesci coming out there. Yeah, yeah. Those two guys has such great chemistry together and stuff. And I know you're gonna probably cover it, but just to think that they might not have been right uh, those characters, you can't even think of that now. <laughs> that somebody else would have been those those two guys. Any other lines you want to throw out to nominate? Oh man, um, I, there's so many, but I think we've we've covered the really okay. good ones. All right. I think I'm going to give my award to Keep the Change of Filthy Animal. I mean, it's just synonymous with the movie. Exactly. And that whole <laughs> faux noir film there, I can quote that verbatim. So I, I think we gotta, I'm going to give that uh, award to that line. What about you guys? Yeah, I concur. That's my favorite line in the whole movie. Yeah, me too, 100%. I just okay. think it's amazing they came up with that. I mean, they could have used an actual movie and had it be less prominent, but the fact that they created that and then mm -hmm. it's just so, so awesome. Okay. A couple more awards here. The next one is we'd like to do uh, who stole the show in a minor role. So I would say outside of the people I mentioned, at the top of the show, Kevin and the two robbers and the parents, any of the kids, you know, I, I would nominate, of course, Old Man Marley as uh, a minor role. I don't know. I guess he was kind of throughout the movie, but I—I I mean, I would go back, like I mentioned earlier, Gus Polinski, the Polka mm -hmm. King of the Midwest. I, I love John Candy. I thought that was great. Uncle Frank, I think, added a lot in, in his scenes. I think he's a good one. Um, mm -hmm. And Buzz, I think he was kind of that perfect big brother. And yeah, really yeah, I, I would definitely nominate Buzz. <laughs> Just some great lines, and he is the bully older brother to a mm -hmm. T. So, any for you, Stacy? I think um, we pretty much ran them all down there. But yeah, I mean, the only other one I would add would be Santa. Okay. The, other than yeah. what we've named, I think just I mean to steal the show. I mean, when you put John Candy in any movie, he's usually the star, but to have him in such a small role like that and still make the most of it, you know, that whole, I read that whole scene uh, inside the truck where he's talking about leaving the kid at the funeral parlor was <laughs> all just ad-libbed. It was none of it's in the script. Oh, wow. So just to think about that and he filmed it all in one day uh, <laughs> and got like the, the, minimum to uh to be there he kind of did it as a favor to john hughes to be in the movie but 
it's hard to give it to anybody else outside of John Candy, in my opinion. But what about you guys, Tim? What do you think for a? Yeah, I'm I'm good with John Candy for sure. Like I said, oh yeah, he's, yeah, he's, that's the definition of that that award. So uh, thinking about who was the MVP of the movie for our final award, you know, obviously you immediately go to Kevin, but do you nominate, you know, Marvin Harry, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern as the co-MVPs of the movie? Is there anybody else that you would think that you would not, not give the MVP to Kevin, you know? Yeah, it's hard not to go case. with Macaulay Culkin there, but. You know, I think, like I said earlier, I think Marv and Harry are are so great, and you almost need them to make Kevin as as good as he is. But mm-hmm. I think you got to go with Macaulay Culkin if you're his is the the face on the <laughs> yeah on the box. What do you think? I I Crazy. would also nominate Catherine O'Hara because she is the heart of the movie. Mm-hmm. She's trying so hard to get home. And to me, she's so funny. She is one of the funniest women. And in this movie, she's not really that funny. She's she she has her moments where there's, you know, kind of some snark and some sarcasm, but she has a beautiful performance as a mom desperately trying to get home to her son. Mm-hmm. So I think she's worth at least a nomination. Sure. I agree. Yeah, I like her. I think it's in the second movie when she says kind of offhand to the the officer at the airport. She's like, but thankfully we never lose our luggage. And they both <laughs> knock on the wood. <laughs> you know? like she just totally is out of her mind at the moment, you know, thinking about, oh, gosh, I got to do this over again. And <laughs> we never lose our luggage. Anyway, yeah, that's great. Because she, I mean there wouldn't be that scene at the end if you didn't have everything with her at the airports and trying to get home and the whole frustration of that selling earrings and a pocket translator and (laughs) whatever she can get her hands on to get back. And then the whole family meeting her at the end too, with that, that final scene, you know, at the house, that's, it's just uh, a very nice coming together there of, of everyone at the end. And having that struggle with her just wouldn't pay that off as well, you know, because you know, she could essentially just stayed with them and <laughs> got there about the same time, which, you know, that's a whole other angle of the movie that I love. It's just you think about things like that and the the journey that she went through to get home. So, yeah, I think like you said, Stacey, the heart of the movie and it could have been a funny little holiday movie without some of that stuff but then when you add in that that part of the story mm-hmm. and the the neighbor marley part of the story and that kind of stuff that's what really rounds it out and gives makes it the true classic i think that it's become mm-hmm. yeah when she gives that speech about you know she's tired and she's dirty and she just, you just feel yeah. for her it's like i wish i could go get her and yeah. take her home. where the hell am i scranton that's <laughs> 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 yeah that's great Okay, so I guess are we going to agree on we'll give it to Macaulay Culkin as the MVP uh, with some strong nominations there? Yeah. Would you say this is his best role? I mean, I, he's done a couple other movies out there. Was it My Girl and 
what was the one where he's bad? Uh, <laughs> um, the good son. Good son. You know, it's hard not to pair him with the Home Alone movies. So it was his biggest moneymaker. I'll throw that out, too. Home Alone 2 did $110 million less than the first one. And then it, there's a huge drop to everything else that he did. So if you judge it by the uh, the popularity of the movie as well, it's it's a... Uh, makes more of a case for him being his best role you know what about as far as john hughes movies go this might be a little bit more difficult you know would you put it in your top five that's hard cause i would, would i you? would for sure yeah i would say it's it's probably in my top five but probably like right around five i would say as far as his movies go i mean i would put christmas vacation still ahead of it as another Christmas movie, John Hughes yeah. Christmas movie, but uh, yeah, yeah, there's I, some there's some out there. You know, you think of the, the the main ones you associate him with, where he directed as well, and just the the writing too. I mean, I would almost put uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles ahead of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for me, for, I, the, for I, the writing aspect. So I would probably say it's in my top five somewhere. Like you said, probably like four or five, if I ranked everything, which I haven't done, but. I, I think it's still up there and it's still, you know, you look for those movies that hold up and are so rewatchable and you catch other little things. And some of that's the writing and some of that's the direction too, but I think it's still up there pretty high. Okay. Well, let's have some fun here. We're going to do some casting. What ifs, and I've got a bunch here, actually. It's funny. You go through some of these and it's like, all right, they're going to ask like the top actors no matter what. So they can throw them in this little category <laughs> if you want to. That It seems like there's just so many that I've found. And I'm just going to take some of the ones that I think are more legit. So there was really no... There was auditions for Macaulay Culkin's role, but essentially Hughes had him singled out, like you were saying, Tim, because of his experience on Uncle Buck. And... Like I said, Columbus did hold more auditions, but he finally, after going through a lot of people, agreed he was the right kid for the role. The role of Harry and Marv, I read in several places, was initially declined by Robert De Niro and John Lovitz. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I don't see really either of them in that role. And it's so hard to now that we're so used to Joe Pesci and Daniel um, Stern that... uh, it's hard to picture anybody else. I can see, now I did read for Harry, the Joe Pesci role, Danny DeVito, uh, Bob Hoskins, who was Eddie and Roger Rabbit. I thought that might have been a fun a, a person you could plug in there. So between those two, I, I you know, there's that more kind of short, stocky person where Daniel Stern is the tall, lanky guy. There's just such a contrast there. I also read that uh, Michael Richards and Christopher Lloyd were considered for Marv. I can see both of them in there. I can see Michael Richards, you know, a <laughs> little Kramer action for Marv. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that um, same interview I, I saw with Larry Hankin where he was talking about Home Alone actually mentioned that, I don't know if, if you had this in your notes or not, mm-hmm. but that um, I guess Daniel Stern was having some negotiation issues where he wanted a little more money to do the movie and stuff. And they were actually thinking of recasting that role. And 
actually contacted Larry Hankin as a possibility to come at the last second and kind of jump in because they had already started filming. Then I guess, according to Hankin, that Stern agreed on the contract or whatever, mm-hmm. so they, they didn't need him. But because he was willing to come do that, that's what, how he ended up getting that little role in the movie was they they put him in that role because of oh. not getting yeah. Uh, yeah, I had not heard about uh, the Hankin angle there. It, what uh, I read was that Stern was told the shooting schedule was going to be eight weeks instead of six weeks, and he was trying to get paid for another two weeks. And there was some a breakdown there and some negotiations. It actually brought in the actor Daniel Roebuck, who he was uh, – I know him from – fugitive and u.s marshals he's uh bigs in uh tommy lee jones's team there he was brought in to take his place and i don't know if there was some uh, they actually shot during that but then you know stern was brought back and there was i think he did get paid because there was a quote about robux saying you know he put a down payment on a house or something for being fired (laughs) or something He, he got paid for you know, signed the contract coming in to replace him and then was fired and brought Stern back. So that was kind of weird. Some names I saw considered for buzz. I don't know if this was even accurate or not. Keanu Reeves and river Phoenix. Uh, no. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Now one that I thought was, I think this was legit. The role of uncle Frank was written with Kelsey Grammer in mind, but he was unavailable to do the movie. So I can kind of see that, you know. They also said that Kirstie Alley was considered for Kate, but she was filming Look Who's Talking 2 at the time. And then my favorite out of this whole process as far as uh, casting, what ifs, the role for Santa, Chris Farley auditioned, but failed to impress Chris Columbus for the job. So... He passed him over, but can you imagine Chris Farley as the Santa? <laughs> How awesome would that have been? I mean, uh, oh yes. Would he would he have, would he have just backed into the little cottage and crushed it? <laughs> Santa would have lived in a van down by the river. Yeah. <laughs> it would have taken him a couple times to try to close that car door or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's just. just oh my gosh! Oh God! I, I I read that and I was like, man. Oh, I wish there were some like deleted scenes or something. (laughs) Auditions. That would have been great. So that was a few casting. What ifs any actors or anybody come to mind that you think you could plug into any of the roles? I mean, not anybody off the top of my head other than what you named, but I really, I really want to see Danny DeVito. That's the audition I want to see. Like I really want to see him audition and act with Macaulay Culkin because I I love Danny DeVito. I love him so much. <laughs> he's such he's he's really good at physical comedy. Even now, he's he's still mm-hmm. great at physical comedy. So yeah, that would have been a cool one to see. All right. Well, we've got a, a couple other little things here, and then we're going to move on to our did you know facts, which I've got a bunch of. Anytime when you're watching the movie, do you have any unanswered questions, or do you see any flaws that kind of bother you? Uh, one that always kind of sticks with me is just kind of the aftermath of the 
the damage from the house, you know, how was he able to clean up some of that stuff just in the foyer area? And then, you know, we get buzz saying, what'd you do my room at the end? But, but the um, rest of the house is almost spotless. Except right. For <laughs> right. I'm like tooth laid on the ground, <laughs> except for the tooth. He misses the tooth out of all that, but I don't know. That always just kind of, yeah, I can buy into all these like elaborate booby traps, but I can't buy into <laughs> cleaning up the next day. You know, what, yeah. what's wrong with me? I don't know. <laughs> Anything you guys can think of that just kind of maybe continuity or something that, that bugs you. There's a couple things for me that I tried not to think about, but uh, one of them is the whole situation with the phones. And yes, I know at that time, I mean, you didn't have cell phones and stuff, but the phone lines are down and they can't call because of that. But then Kevin is able to order a pizza. pizza by phone, that's right. Uh-huh. And then they also leave an answer machine message at the neighbor across the street. That's right. Yeah. So obviously his phone's working. So <laughs> kind of the whole idea of why they can't get in touch with him. I try not to think about that. The other one that's probably bigger is, why wouldn't Marley have told like his parents that, you know, <laughs> Kevin almost died last night kind of thing, you know, like he could, it's almost like a little secret they keep. It feels like, but that seems like a big secret to not tell the parents that, yeah, hey, I saved your kid from getting killed by these uh, <laughs> guys who are, had him stuck on the hook on the back of yeah, the Yeah. Yeah. I read that uh, Macaulay has a permanent scar from uh, <laughs> Joe Pesci biting him accidentally <laughs> on the finger. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but that's something I read. That's <laughs> Anything you can think of that kind of bugs you? Um, other than what you guys have, have mentioned that the one that bugs me, I just want to understand the logistics of how the rest of the family gets their literal seconds after Kate mm-hmm. has gone through hell to get home. <laughs> like what what kind of cruel <laughs> twist of fate is that? And and how ca- and how just casual you know Peter is about it. He's just like, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah, it's like we're, we're here now." Yeah. Great. Took the Friday flight that you didn't want to take. Yeah. There's <laughs> one other one for me that I forgot about was uh our favorite scene where the pizza delivery guy gets get scared away who wouldn't have called the police after you thought you were being <laughs> shot at right yeah with an automatic weapon as you deliver a pizza to somebody's house <laughs> i just can't believe they wouldn't have notified the authorities that yeah he's shooting at me at this house so that was yeah. one even though it's hilarious and i love that part when you think about it, it's like he speeds off but wouldn't he have gone and brought the police back mm-hmm also, literally everybody in the neighborhood is gone. Everybody? <laughs> really? Nope. I mean, nobody else with their ginormous houses in that neighborhood are hosting Christmas. Yeah. I find that a little suspect. Harley was home next door. But... Well, yeah, but he didn't have a family. Well, he had a family, but he was estranged from his family. And one phone call fixed all of that, mm-hmm. which I get it for the, the purpose of the movie. Like, I understand that that's, you know, but I... I have a feeling it wouldn't be that simple. <laughs> well, maybe it would. It's Christmas after all. That's true. Yeah. You guys got some good ones there. The other one is just 
you know, Kevin's supposed to be sleeping with Fuller upstairs. How does like Fuller not climb over him or come back up there or something to wake Kevin up <laughs> during that whole time? He's supposed to be up there with them, you know? I have a feeling that Fuller never makes it up there. That's what I've always <laughs> thought is that, you know, Kate sent Kevin upstairs to kind of isolate him from the rest of the family. I feel like they just arranged for Fuller to sleep somewhere else. Could have. Yeah. Yeah. The phone call thing. I, the, the answering machine one was bugged me more. I really didn't even think about the pizza until doing the notes here. You know, how does he order in the pizza? Uh, if the phone lines are down and there's, there's tons of little, if you take TV class, you'll go crazy over all the little continuity things. Like, so Kevin, he purchases the laundry detergent at the grocery store. And then when he's walking home and the two grocery bags rip, there's no laundry detergent, stuff like that. You know, I don't, I don't like to dig too much into movies like that to, for stuff like that to bother me, but there's other things that I dug up and I'm like, yeah, I'll. I'll just pass the, yes. the ticket and the passport. How do they sweep it into the trash? Like how, how are you so stupid wiping off a can? Like they just, again, I know it's for the plot, but like they wipe that mess up in the dumbest way possible. And it yeah. bugs me every time it really bugs my husband. It's really funny. Like he goes on a rant about how stupid they handle that spill. I can honestly say until, and this is part of the, did you know facts, but, until I'm doing research for the movie, I didn't realize that Kevin's tickets in the trash. They, if you slow mo it and mm-hmm. look, like Kevin's tickets is, is in there. I'm just, it never bothered me because I knew they counted the kid next door when they're counting all the kids. So, and they just kind of throw the tickets at the <laughs> the person at the gate, you know. So, I don't yeah, know. If you I, think I, of like post 9 11, how airplane travel is oh yeah yeah that's nobody been running up to gates and just (laughs) yeah take any seat kind of thing but i think they almost like thought backwards they almost said okay what are all the things that would have made them think of him yeah how do we eliminate all of them and they tried to figure out ways to like yeah no and that's that's what i read too that even why they added that little ticket thing in there so something every every little thing would be explained or have some kind of explanation on why they would would leave him in the first place otherwise the movie just kind of goes up in smoke you gotta have enough circumstances around that to make it believable even in the smallest bit also honorable mention to to the neighbor kid because i forgot about him he's also the most midwestern child i've ever seen in a movie and i love him for that reason (laughs) one more little fun thing the movie was released November 1990, but the events in the movie actually take place in the future in December 1990 because we know it's December. The calendar is shown like when Kevin's shooting the, the basketball players and stuff with his BB gun. There's a calendar there that says December 1990. So the oh. movie the movie came out one month prior to the actions of the actual movie, if you want to go that far with it. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, we're going to get on to this next uh, little segment here. And it's basically, we usually go through this as the, what's the next incarnation of the film. So we know it's had like, what is it? Five sequels now or four. I think uh home sweet home alone is the fifth. Now that I'm doing the math in my head, I have a DVD set that has the first four on it. 
the fourth one is probably immaculate because we've only watched it like once. But uh, what's your overall thoughts of the the sequels to Home Alone? I like two, not as much as the original, but I I like two. It has its has its moments. I think the how they bring back the angels with even filthier souls and <laughs> work that in there and some of the toy store stuff and the new house to do the booby trap. So I like two. after that for me, um, without Macaulay Culkin in there, I don't, I just can't get into it. I think for me, the only incarnation that would work is somehow if it was like related to those original characters a little more directly. What about you, Stacey? Yeah, um, I like two. It is not one that I have watched that much. And I, I don't know why. I mean, it's not because I don't like it. It's just when <laughs> there's so many Christmas movies I try to get to every year, <laughs> I just never get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I might change that this year because we were, my husband and I were talking about it as we were watching the new one, um, Home Sweet Home Alone. And he asked me, he's like, you've seen the second one, right? And I said, yeah i know i've seen it i just don't i haven't committed it to memory like the first one Mm -hmm. but uh i've never i don't think i've ever seen three or four i I, as a matter of fact when you said the home sweet home alone was the fifth one i was thinking is it and then i just (laughs) looked it up and yeah there was a fourth one um i watched home sweet home alone this weekend i had a blast it was super fun and i'm sure we're going to talk about it more but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I love that kid. He was, he stole the show uh, from in Jojo rabbit. And so I'm excited to see him still working. Um, But I I thought it was really fun for what it was. Okay. And it's in universe. That's all I'll say, (laughs) but I won't spoil anything, but it is in Kevin Gallister's universe. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and spoil it because that was the best part of the, the whole movie for me. But going back to, Number two, it's a natural progression each year. I have to, when we watch number one, I have to watch number two. It is so as quotable to me as the first one. And you get Tim Curry and mm-hmm. Rob Schneider and all these other fun characters, the, uh, the old man at the toy store. And New York is such a character in that movie as well. Oh. And you still get the fun little gags of, when they're uh, finally chasing him and you know, him dropping those pearls on the street and the tables kind of turn at the end, you know, and I enjoy it. It's like one, a one B really for me. I, I really love the second one. We will watch the third one. The kids mainly enjoy it. And the kid with the remote control car, that was, I guess, part of it since that car is so part of, it's like the, uh, the talk boy was for part two <laughs> that remote control car is almost a character in itself in part three but um you get a uh, young scarlett johansson in that and the the robbers are okay they're a little bit more bumbling but i can make it through three the fourth one like i said we've seen that once i was like no and then last night i watched home sweet home alone i <laughs> I thought it was awful, Stacy. I couldn't. <laughs> oh no! I mean, I and I don't have any connection with the kid. Apparently, you do with some other movies. Mm-hmm. The, I don't know why they went full Brit with him and the mum, 
but and, and I'm not trying to diss on that, but it just kind of took me out of it's. This is more of a set in America type thing, and they they bring in these other people, and the whole angle with the the parents being the essentially the burglars. I don't know. It just didn't do it for me. The best part, and again, we're going to spoil this. So if you haven't watched it, you plan to watch it. Just skip past this part. But Buzz is a police officer in the movie and pulls up in his squad car. I loved his whole little bit. He stole the whole movie for me. I was like, if I had known he was in this, I would have forwarded to that part. And then I just would be done with the movie. <laughs> Well, did you did you catch the part about Kevin? Yes, yes. He's thinking Kevin is thanking that him. That was so great. Well, yeah. no, but what Kevin does for a living? I'm trying to think now. What was it? Home security. Oh, yes, the security. Yeah, He owns so, a home security company. Yeah, he's like a billionaire or something. And there's yeah. this, the sign is in front of their house. It's uh, McAllister Security. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I will say that the, the premise... The premise was flimsy, for sure. Yeah. Like, I, I will give you that. But I enjoyed enough of it to say I might watch it again. It's not something that will become an every year thing. But I, the premise of how the quote-unquote burglars are trying to break in is a, is, is a little flimsy. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I thought Ellie Kemper was really funny. How they they kind of come together at the end, you know, they, oh, everything's cool after I tried to, you know, break into your house and your, your son almost killed us. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. That was the part. Like, cool. I mean, how, how did, how did the dad not have a traumatic brain injury? That's the part I kept because they, they really upped the stakes in this one in terms of brutality of the, the booby Mm. traps, um, which to me, like I would say, if you're on the fence about watching it, it's worth watching just to see. Just if you think Kevin is sadistic, <laughs> this kid yeah, Max pretty... is really like mastermind level sadist in terms of the traps that he sets <laughs> for these poor normal people. <laughs> well, but see, the thing with Max too that I didn't like is he's he's just a bratty kid. I mean, there is a, a some of the angle where Kevin's the youngest, you know, and he, of course, he's going to get picked on, and his siblings pick on him, and his whole family's kind of down on him. There's a whole scene we're going to talk about in a minute in the script that just adds so much to the movie, uh, and how he's <laughs> he's kind of motivated to be in that spot and, and want to get back at his family. But I didn't see that with Max. He was just kind of this uh, snobby kid. And why would I want to root for him or anything? You know, I was rooting more for the parents to get that damn doll out of there so they can make their money. I don't know. I just, the, the ties were turned there anyway. Yeah. All right. I'm torn. I don't know <laughs> which way I'm going to go. I on. mean, I would say this, Tim, the buzz part made it sitting through the whole thing worth it to <laughs> me, but I'm not planning to go back and watch it again. So his part is really, it's, it's funny. It's really great the way they plugged them in there anyway all right well let's get past that and uh we'll see if we can get some feedback from our listeners on home sweet home alone what their thoughts were uh let's go ahead we're gonna kind of skip past uh i was gonna ask about if they keep doing sequels or just leave it be 
I mean, what what do you think, Stacy? Should they maybe try to build on that or or do something else with the franchise? They probably no. will since they're <laughs> I don't know if they're owned by Disney, but since Disney has it, I'm sure there's going to be more sequels, but I mean, how how many times I mean, obviously at least five, right? But how many <laughs> times can you do the same premise yeah. of these parents leaving their kids home alone? I mean, maybe yeah. if you want to, if you want to turn it, and I, I will say that that is one thing I liked about Home Sweet Home Alone. Oh, not having like the landline at the house. Yeah, well, nobody not has having a land- the landline at the house, <laughs> and sense. also when Buzz shows up, the kid realizes that his mom or thinks his mom will get in trouble if he tells the police that he's home alone so that at least that part of it seemed realistic to mm-hmm. me so maybe if you want to continue the sequel do it from the the side of uh you know child protective services or the police responding to all of these calls mm-hmm. where these children have been left home alone and all of the paperwork and how you know maybe it's i i don't know no, I, I don't know that you need to make any more movies about children being abandoned at home and having yeah. to booby trap their house because it, it just <laughs> doesn't feel like you could do five more movies yeah. like that and, and keep it fresh. They could do something like um, the Creed movies from Rocky where they have like Kevin's son and the wet bandit sons end up <laughs> <laughs> running into each other or something or. You know? Can you imagine the helicopter parent that Kevin is? Like he probably <laughs> never leaves his kids alone <laughs> ever, yeah, yeah. or if he even yeah. has kids. We don't know if he has kids. Yeah, well, and you know we're in the time too. I'm guilty of it where we uh, we've got trackers on our kids' phones to know where they're at at all times. I mean, uh, it's just the the kind of era we're in, so it makes it more difficult to think of a kid being alone somewhere. Uh, unless he's totally forgotten, you know, at home or something, even this, you know, the second movie where Kevin's kind of lost in New York, you could probably build more off of, you know, kids being on their own somewhere, but there's too many trackers on them nowadays. (laughs) Anyway, All right. Well, let's get through some, did you know facts and we'll wrap it up for the night. There's some really fun ones in here that uh, can't wait to get your reaction on. So, like I said, I'm doing a comparison article. It'll be up on the Retro Network uh, about the time this is dropped or, or soon after. So look out for that. There's some fun differences in there. There's some. Have you all seen the deleted scenes from Home Alone? Yes. I've mm-hmm. seen them on the DVD. Yeah. So yeah. M- most of those, if not all of those, I haven't gone through the whole script yet, but uh, a lot of those are in the script. So you can get some. Uh, fun little nuggets like that. But um, so back in uh, 93 to 96 and again in 98, NBC aired this movie at the uh, 8 p.m. time slot on Thanksgiving. So this was uh, as soon after it was, you know, released a home video and, and started being up on uh, network TV. It was a Thanksgiving movie for several years. And then uh, in 1999, it aired, uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and that was the last time it was on NBC. And then when FX brought it along, it was also airing it, and it actually aired for 24 hours on Thanksgiving in 2009. So I thought that was interesting that they tried to do a 24-hour marathon with it, uh, but just never, you know, 
you're not going to beat out or, or try to top a Christmas story for the 24 hour thing, you know? Right. All right. So there are some, uh, actually some deleted and alternate scenes in the trailer. If you watch the trailer, there's a television anchor man who warns viewers to be on the lookout for the wet bandits. That was never really included. And then in the supermarket scene, there's a scene with the manager standing behind the checkout girl and ask Kevin some questions. So that's, there's uh, a, a couple little differences and there's a bunch of movies like that where you, you can find some stuff in the trailers. You're like, where, where'd that scene go? I mean, plain strange automobiles. There's one there as well with uh, John Candy in the bathroom doing all kinds of funny stuff. But anyway, you can check that out. Uh, of course, I'm assuming there was some chatter. I, I think it was last year, a couple years ago. One of the, some actor celebrity did not know that Angels of Filthy Souls was actually not real, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and they just, you know, made those for the movies. But I'm assuming you all knew that it took me a while to really think about that, you know, not within the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, but I was like, this can't be a real movie. Um, I knew it because of the blues brothers and the guy i think it's the same guy or at least as a kid i was pretty sure it was the same guy i had seen in the he was the dispatcher that talks about um the use of violence oh, is approved oh my gosh he is isn't he and yeah and so i knew that when i saw the movie as a kid because the blues brothers is one of my parents favorite movies and i had watched that with oh, them a I've ton never pieced that together and it was like, I've seen that guy before. <laughs> and so I, I was pretty sure that they were, and I was also into old movies um, when I was a kid. So I was thinking like, I don't think this is, I don't think this is actually <laughs> an old movie because that guy wouldn't be old enough to have been in the blues brothers. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and so I pieced that together as a kid, but um, you know, was, but I've that's never the only so the Blues Brothers yeah. was the only connection that that helped me realize that I've never even heard or thought about that. So that's that's great. None that I remember. Yeah, because it's when they're the police are after them, and he's like, uh, "Yeah, the use of deadly forces is, is approved. Uh, yes, has been approved. Yes, been approved." I just love the way he says it, and just, yeah, so very cool. Okay, stuck with me. Uh, here's a fun little fact. So cinematographer Julio McCat, who was the cinematographer for this movie, used a Christmas story as the inspiration for the look of the movie. And it's one of the last major productions to use carbon arc lighting. I don't know what that means, but it sounds, you know, old. And uh, he said, anyway, it, it gave the uh, like a warmer, richer light to Home Alone. And these lights fell out of use, you know, because they would only operate for like 20 minutes at a time. And they had some kind of exhaust system that they had to use indoors. So this was one of the last movies to use that kind of lighting. Not that I would have known, but uh, for anybody that's more of a dig into films and, and part, you know, that side of it, the creative side of it, there's a, a little fact. Um, so there's a, a French filmmaker that threatened to sue Fox over plagiarism of this movie. Uh, he made a movie. It's uh, Renee Manzer. He made a movie called Dial Code Santa Claus in 1988. It's a 
French thriller about a young boy left home alone on Christmas Eve, and he has to fend off an intruder as his mother rushes home to save him. It's, you know, that sounds like it bears some similarity there. But uh, he, I guess he approached the studio and everything to reach a settlement, but Fox denied it, and Hughes denied ever seeing this other film. So I don't think it was ever pursued. But I, I'm curious now to see <laughs> what the similarities between the two. Uh, so the glass ornaments, the ones that uh, make us cringe, you know, when Marv comes through the window and steps on those. Uh, they were ma- actually made of candy. <laughs> and to be on the safe side, Daniel Stern wore rubber feet on yeah. his uh, for his barefoot <laughs> scenes just to be on the safe side. So there's your little interesting fact now i've seen two different things about the tarantula was it uh, a real spider yes it was real i think daniel stern's confirmed that it's the scream uh because <laughs> i've seen that he had to fake the scream not to like frighten the spider yeah. and it was dumped in later but then there's been quotes of uh, daniel stern saying that it was filmed live on set and he actually screamed and uh he says uh, he was assured by the animal handlers that the tarantulas did not have ears. <laughs> <laughs> that was a quote. Anyway, I, I don't know uh, what's legit there, but it, uh, his, it was a real spider that was on him, and he did it in one take. He said, I'll do it one take, and that's it. You got to get it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was only one take. Uh, Hillary Wolf, who played Kevin's older sister, Megan, and she was also uh, in Home Alone 2. She hasn't done many movies, but in it's because in 1996 and 2000, she was a member of the Summer Olympic Judo team for the U.S. A little fun fact there. Okay, so uh, this was interesting. Greg Beeman's 1995 film Bushwhacked, which stars Daniel Stern as a delivery guy on the run after being framed for murder, was originally intended to be a spinoff of Home Alone. And the storyline would have been essentially the same after giving up his life of crime as a uh, wet bandit. Marv would have been framed for murder. (laughs) I was like, wow. Okay. We also know, of course, the the movie magic, they use a lot of fake snow. The snow that was used in home alone was donated to the lyric opera of Chicago and used for multiple productions after uh, home alone so that snow has been reused <laughs> uh so it was shot in chicago in february of 1990 and the crew was hoping for snow obviously for some of the scenes and this is according to have you all seen the movies that made us episode on home alone yes, yes. okay i have not so uh, this is i guess pulled from that that uh they were the the fake snow was eating away at the budget and then a snowstorm rolled in like on the second day of the set so they had to change up their schedule and they immediately shot the end of the movie when he wakes up on christmas morning and reunites with his family during the snowstorm so how was that episode did y'all enjoy that yeah i did i've enjoyed every one of those i i love i love that series yeah that's really well done okay a fun little connection here between John Candy and Catherine O'Hara. Of course, they worked together on SCTV in uh, 1976. We're good friends. John Candy died on her 40th birthday, and she gave a 
eulogy at his funeral. I thought that was uh, just interesting. So the uh, near crash with the van was actually shot in reverse. So where Kevin is uh, walking down the sidewalk and, you know, and the, the van comes like inches from his nose. I always thought that was how, how would you stop that van? You know, so close to him, they shot it in reverse. So he's standing up next to the van and like walks backwards as the van goes in reverse. So <laughs> little movie magic there. So uh, according to Chris Columbus, during an interview with uh, Alec Baldwin on his podcast, John heard the dad was unhappy about working on the movie and felt like the movie was going to be terrible. However, upon seeing the final product and uh its success really heard apologized to columbus when they were shooting scenes for home alone 2 and he essentially broke character and just while they're filming just like gave him this uh, apology on tape and apparently columbus has kept it over the years as kind of a tribute to him you know he passed away a couple years ago so i thought that was interesting uh so Ke- <laughs> Kevin uh, rooting through Buzz's trunk there. Of course, he comes across the Playboy magazine. They actually taped the pages together so that he wouldn't see any nudity or anything in the <laughs> in the Playboy. The picture of Buzz's girlfriend. Chris Columbus thought it would be too cruel to make fun of an actual girl. So what did he do? He instead took the art director's son and dressed him up as a girl. <laughs> took the picture. Woof. I thought that was uh, hilarious. So uh, the girl who plays Santa's elf uh, in the one scene, she also plays a flight attendant in Home Alone 2. I had not noticed that before. This is an interesting little twisted thing. On the airplane, John Hurd, the dad, is reading a novel by Thomas McGuane. McGuane and Hurd were previously married to Margot Kidder. <laughs> so i don't know if that was a gag like they gave him a book or it was just random or whatever but that connection just i had to laugh about that it is rumored in the original draft of the screenplay that uncle frank is revealed as the real villain of the movie he is the villain behind the villains that harry and marv worked for him and that he hired them to rob the McAllister house and the other houses in the neighborhood and to also kill kevin so uh, think about that for a minute. <laughs> wow. Uncle Frank is the villain. That's a little twist at the end there that we didn't get. Either of you read the novelization of Home Alone? No. No. Uh, we'll let uh, our buddy Paxton Holly at I Read Movies cover that one day. But there's some uh, fun little details in there, like uh, Buzz's pet tarantula is named Axel. And we learned that uh, Peter and uh, what Peter and Kate do for a living. Peter is a successful businessman and Kate is a fashion designer. So that kind of explains the mannequins in the basement and the sewing machines and stuff. <laughs> I thought that was a fun little tidbit there. So uh, near the start of the movie, Kevin's brother, Jeff puts a toothbrush in his pocket as he's packing up there. Uh, and then during the, uh, famous aftershave scream you know he claims he is unable to find his toothbrush so we can make that connection that his brother took his toothbrush (laughs) if you think about that a couple left here i saved kind of my favorites 
for last. And one of them was the, I had not realized that cleaning the milk from the passports that uh, Kevin's dad accidentally throws his ticket in the trash. And you can see still frames on, you go over to YouTube and look at the scene. John Hughes thought it was unrealistic that the family would forget a child. So he tried to cover all possible circumstances, including the lack of an unclaimed ticket at the airport. So that was great. And then in the script, there is actually a post-credit scene, which I, I wish they had filmed. I, don't, I haven't looked through all the deleted scenes. Maybe they did film it. But the post-credit scene is Harry and Marv in prison, and they're watching TV, and it's Angels with Filthy Souls. <laughs> and they, uh, they hear the movie dialogue that uh, you know Kevin fooled them with, and then they kind of give each other a stare. And we uh, fade to black. So <laughs> I thought that would have been a fun, fun little wrap up at the end that's in the script. You know, them kind of <laughs> realizing, oh, that's who Snakes was. <laughs> snakes, snakes. Yeah. I don't know no snakes. <laughs> so that's all the uh, little did you know facts and and stuff that I, uh, I thought were interesting pulled out uh, online. Anything else you want to? Want to leave us with as far as uh, your thoughts on the movie? One thing I was just going to mention, um, mm-hmm. living in Wisconsin, it's not too far away. I have gone by the house that they mm-hmm. used for the, the exterior down there. And it was probably back in the late 90s, the last time I, I was there. I might try to go back again at some point. But and I know that house is actually sold before. I remember it being listed one time where they had some pictures from the inside, but obviously it wasn't filmed inside the house, but that was, uh, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. How fun would it be to live in that house? You know, it would be a a pilgrimage for some people. And I think I read online that uh, the last time it sold, it was for like two and a half million dollars, something like that. It's in a nice, nice neighborhood, obviously Mm -hmm. in a big, big house. I believe that they put a fence on the outside of the property now. So you can't <laughs> just walk up to it or anything. So, yeah. Try to sneak in through the basement or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they took out the doggy door. <laughs> <laughs> or they didn't. Or they didn't. Hi. Yeah. That would be fun. <laughs> Love your house. All right. Well, uh, we thank you guys for visiting the Retro Network Drive-In. I'm going to give my uh, fellow co-hosts here the floor for a minute and tell everyone where they can find them when they are not here at the drive-in. Tim, where can people find you? The easiest place to find me is on Twitter, at Old School 80s there. And uh, that's probably the best place to catch me. You'll find me other places as well, but that's uh, okay. that's where you'll see me on a daily basis. And he uh, has done a slew of articles over on the Retro Network uh, based on 80s, mainly 80s commercials. Lots of those you can uh, just kind of dig through and jump article to article on. Uh, and I know you still retweet those as well when uh, when they come around or when something, an anniversary hits or something, you'll throw those up there. So appreciate you writing for the network. And Stacy, where can people find you? Probably the easiest place to find me nowadays is on Instagram um, at Geeky Vixen. 
I'm still posting toy pics there. I'm trying to slowly get back into writing and <laughs> podcasting. I mm-hmm. started a new job, so I didn't have as much brain capacity to, to do <laughs> fun stuff. But I've also been uh, doing a comics podcast with uh, some friends of mine. It's called The Long Box Guys. We have covered... Uh, a lot we we always try to cover like one character or one franchise mm-hmm. um, on our podcast and uh, we our most prolific that I've been a part of is we went through a whole bunch of Suicide Squad characters um, and I learned a lot about characters that I did not care anything about but it was still fun to talk about them. <laughs> cool okay well that's fun we'll try to put some uh, links in our show notes here for you guys and uh, of course you can find me at tier on social Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I check all three of those. You can leave us your feedback also at RD eighties on Twitter. Uh, you can find me mainly over on Twitter on those two places. And, uh, yeah. So we just, uh, we thank you guys for joining us for the drive in. We hope to see you back for our next movie. I'm not sure what that's going to be or when it will be, but, uh, we've got plans. We've got plans, but, We uh, thank you guys for joining us and good night.
This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.